Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey, this is Achtun Millwall. Hello, good morning, and welcome to Achtung Millwall. Yes, this is the number one Millwall podcast, and my name is Nick Hart. Well, coming up today, ladies and gentlemen, a packed programme with post-match review of yesterday's extraordinary 3 all home draw with Wolverhampton Wanderers. We've also got your phone messages, and yes, this week Nigel has updated us with his movements, so many fans out there will be pleased to hear that. Finally today we have a great interview of our listed line this week, Mr Mark Baxter. Please stick around for that one, he's a very interesting bloke with a wide circle of friends and is a very genuine Millwall fan, it's well worth listening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Achtung Millwall. Enjoy today's show and most of all, accept no substitutes. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Now, and you fast it up through now. 
and you fucked it up, Drew. No, and you fucked it up. OK, welcome to the show now, my regular cohort, Charlie Mahoney. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Hello, Nick. You all right, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thanks for thanks for coming with us. This was an unusual game for me, mate, because I preferred to be at a first birthday party yesterday rather than down the den. Well, it's typical, really, isn't it? <laughs> Not real wall, is it, eh? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, no. Follow, I, I followed proceedings by text by and by Twitter, <clears throat> but it sounds like it was one of the great den occasions down there, really. Would you give me give me a take on it? Uh, what, what was the course of the game yesterday? It looked like we, we were pretty shit and then kind of pulled it around late in the game. Well, it's weird because I think the scoreline's a little bit misleading. I, I think there's a potential to romanticise what was like just a really peculiar game, to right. be honest, okay. because neither side, to me, looked like they had three goals in them. I'm still not entirely sure how they managed to score three as it was walking out. Right, OK. <laughs> I mean, it was, I'm just looking through some of the posts because obviously, I've, you know, it, it's difficult when you're just following tweets, which in themselves are yeah. short, short burst messages. Um, but, I mean, one poster caught my eye on, on, on House of Fun. It said, for anyone that left that 3-0 down, uh, he questions how well you know football because Wolves were never three goals better than Millwall yesterday. W- would you agree with that? Would it, would, did it... Were they were they that were they that far ahead of us in 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 the footballing terms? No, they were really poor goals to give away. To be honest, mm. I think it's been a little bit of controversy over whether their first goal should have even been a corner. But that that's right, okay. to me because we didn't defend it well enough. Um, but it, it was soft, and I, I think uh, you know, like the like a lot of the goals we've been conceding this season, they are quite worryingly coming from set pieces. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the goals um, on the Football League show, um, looked at them this morning, and I mean, really, I mean, I've, I've actually written the same thing down um, pretty much three times over. Shocking defence from set pieces, corners, soft, yeah. you know, uh, balls flying around a penalty area that are then being poked home by, you know, um, players of a decent standard. And we just can't afford to keep doing that. But we keep saying that, Charlie, don't we? Every game. I think it's actually, the ironic thing about it is that it's probably something that's really gone downhill since Jacket left us. Um, yes, we yes. conceded a lot under Lymas, and it's not improved under Holloway. I think there are aspects that have improved under Holloway, but if you are conceding from set pieces at a regular <coughs> basis, then the alarm bell should be ringing. To be fair, I mean, I, I've personally thought over all of the games that I've seen this season, which is a fair chunk apart from apart from yesterday. Uh, I mean, we, we don't look. There, there's no settled defence, is there? I mean, there's constant um, chopping and changing, and we seem now to have settled on Webster and, and Beavers as our probable first choice. But then there's always this hint that Dunn's going to come back and and um, re, you know reassert his claim to, to the central defender's position, and it, it just seems uh, it, it injects a note of uncertainty into a, a group that should be a unit. Where, and you can't work on these kinds of situations when you're not a unit. Definitely, I think. Losing Carlos Edwards is a is a major blow, and, yeah. and that's something that can't really be helped, unfortunately. No. But I think what they need to do to remedy that is to actually get an established right back who you know is going to be playing there on a consistent basis. The centre-halves, like you say, keep changing. I'm not entirely convinced that Williams is, is best utilised in that position because he's so such a... Excuse me, it was, it's Williams and Webster, yes, I'm sorry, uh, not, not being there. I presume it would be Beavers in defence, but of course it wasn't. It was Williams was playing more centrally, wasn't he, yesterday? Yeah, and I don't know if that's making the most of his capability of passing the ball, really. Although, mm. in fairness, him being 
the last man yesterday was absolutely fantastic for us because hadn't he? If he hadn't made that challenge, then I'm convinced we would have lost the game in the last minute. Yeah, I mean, by that stage it was free each, and, and walls were breaking through, and he had to take one for the team, as he's as he's tweeted himself. I mean, the the, the conceding of the three goals. I mean, they each had similarities in that it struck me how poorly organised we are in defence, and I do wonder. Given the whole Ian Holloway show that we get, the kind of um, you know the football man reputation that he, the, the, he has, you wonder what he's doing on this because it, you know it doesn't come as a surprise to us on the terraces. So what, what is he looking at in, in, in you know in training each day? Because this this is a major flaw at this level. I, I can forgive um, you know cheap sort of poor defending if we are going to be regularly scoring three goals in a game. But I think my issue is, is that we haven't really received, you know, one plus as a result of, of being so kind of soft-centred. And, uh, you know, if we, like I say, if we can keep scoring at that rate, then I think people will forgive those those shortcomings. But generally this season, it hasn't been the case, has it? No, I mean, there's a question in itself. Can we keep scoring at that rate? We, we haven't done so far. I mean, just going back to the, the three goals conceded, I mean, each one I've noted here, shocking defence from a corner, shocking defence from a corner, scuffed finish for the second one. I mean, that was that was probably bobbling around in an area where, in the end, someone's going to get on the end of it, and, and it, and it yeah. went. The third goal, I think, is perhaps the only goal where I'd say, well, OK, hands up. That It was a, almost a freak um, cross that went into the net, and sometimes you just can't odds those kinds of situations. There probably wasn't much that Ford could have done, in all fairness, because he's looking for the cross into the penalty area and, and, and the head on, 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 on target. So that's perhaps the only forgivable goal. I mean, the, the goals that we've scored, I mean, to make it 3-1, I mean, I've got a nicely placed forward ball. Again, Williams, though, made the, made the forward pass and found Gregory, who got on the on the, on the the goal side of the defence. Yeah, that was a great ball, and it was a brilliantly composed finish from Gregory. And Very like, calm, very calmly done. I, mean, yeah. I, I like Gregory. Do you, do you like the look of him, Charlie? Do you, like, you like what you're seeing with this, this striker we've signed? Well, I've, I had my reservations when he came in. I, I knew it was a gamble but I can see him becoming more and more confident all the time. Mm. I think the goal he scored against Birmingham was really well taken, and yesterday, I'm not too sure he would have he would have actually put that away a few weeks ago, so I can definitely see progress, and I hope it continues. I mean, I, I, I'm picking up on some of the points made online. I mean, there's a uh, RM11 picked up on, on, on Hoff that Wolves are an average side. And I think their their average-ness was probably illustrated by the fact that they've let us in for that first goal. Now, knowing the den, as, as you and me do, as soon as there's a sniff of a comeback, the den comes into its own. It's it's the ultimate theatre for, you know, fight-backs in, in that sense. So as soon as they've conceded that first goal, which was probably the critical, critical goal for them not to give away, suddenly Mills in the game and the den acquires its own atmosphere. I mean, I'm reading here from... Um, SP4 free CD on Hoff that the atmosphere at Friel was immense. I'm going to guess that was that was a manic, a madhouse of a, of a, of a stadium to be in at that point. Yeah, it was superb, but a um, bit of a classic atmosphere down there, which yeah. was, I think, helped by the return of James Henry, to be honest. Of course. <laughs> I think I'm a... actually did us a favour by bringing him on because it was something that got everyone up and sort of aggressive and, you know, that typical kind of. The Millwall attitude, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Jacket got an ovation, um, which they showed on TV and, and people have referred to on, online. 
I, I, it sounds like a nice touch. I mean, I, I, I've got a lot of time for Kenny Jackett. He, 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 he pulled us around. He, he took us from a point of relegation to the fourth division, effectively, and he, he got us into the championship. I find it very hard to um, to hate the man or to 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 you know pour abuse on him for for what he did for us. Some seem to feel that there's a mill reputation that should be maintained, and that no matter what the circumstances, that abuse should be poured on, on his shoulders. But I, I just thought it showed respect and a bit of class, to be honest. I can't bring myself to abuse the man either, to be honest. I, I think he is a bit of a, a legend down there, and I'm glad he got a, a standing ovation. It was richly deserved. Yeah. Oh, yeah that would have been quite sad to see people calling him a Welsh cunt or something. Well, clearly, uh, clearly, once the game is on, I mean, I think Kenny would know the score. I mean, he's, he's, he's managed us for, for five, six years or whatever it was. Once the game kicks off, then no, there's no quarter given and nor, nor should any be expected. But the pre-match ovation, which you know is, is, a, is a rare honour down at Millwall, I mean, it's, there, there aren't many people that get that. Um, I just thought that was a nice touch. So I, I don't agree with those that say because Millwall is this... I don't know, cartoon image monster kind of, you know, um, place that um, we've got to just cut off every person that ever comes back to us. But I, 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 James Henry, from what I read, was looked like he was a bit blown away by the amount of vitriol that, that came down on his shoulders. Quite surprised he was brought on, actually. To me, I mean, we've, we've known Henry for quite some time now and, and mentally he's always been questionable, hasn't he? And Very, yeah. expecting him to fold and he did, really. yeah. Very creative player. I like James Henry and I like him as a player. But you're right, straight to the heart of the matter there. He does have a certain flaw in his mental capacity to. He doesn't deal with hostility, I don't think. And I'm picturing the amount of hostility that he would have caught yesterday. I can just imagine it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that does seem to have been a turning point. Um, an error, error on Jacket's part, really, because I think had that have not have come in, he not come into the game, then the, the den wouldn't have ignited, would it? No, and um, it, it just all seemed to fall into place. I think what you've crucially picked up on is how quickly we got that goal back. Yeah. So I think uh, there was still over 20 minutes on the clock when we'd actually got ourselves back into the game and it changed the dynamic entirely because Wolves were never dominant and that's the thing. So once once the scoreline didn't reflect dominance, I think they started to shit themselves, to be honest. Also, I want to pick up on the introduction of Lee Martin, clearly returning from injury. So um, he came off off the bench, 56 minutes, he's come on for Aidan O'Brien. Um, he was responsible for the second and the third goal for me. I mean, the, the work he did on, on the left wing and then on the right wing created the opportunity for Ricardo Fuller to, to take both chances. And both nicely finished, Charlie, both nicely done, I thought. The touch that Fuller showed for that third goal was top draw. They were two fantastic finishes, and, and for me... I was I wasn't exactly over the moon when we signed Fuller, but I always thought that he might be able to bring something to the table, even if not on a consistent basis. And there was real, I dare say, Premier League quality in in the two finishes there yesterday. Well, particularly for that third goal, which um, which I saw this morning. I mean, it, it, nice work by Lee Martin. He's cut inside from the right and played it into Fuller. He's got back to goal, but he, he had a very deft touch that kind of tur- you know enabled him to turn inside the penalty and then slot home but that first touch was was top draw I mean that that really is what you pay your money to to watch at this level the, my problem with Fuller um I mean not a problem then the man is is the age that he, he is and uh, he's not a 90 minute player is he no and that's precisely why I think we'll get the best out of him if we use him in in the way that we did yesterday if he's an impact player he can reserve his energy and actually have a bit of an influence on the game as opposed to when he's 
you know, starting and having to work his bollocks off for the entirety, yeah. I think he's just going to fade out of it. Just going back to RM11, he posted that up until the first goal, we were clueless, disjointed, below par against a very average team. Um, and he refers to us continuing playing long balls to Gregory up front on his own. Now, this this is an issue, I think, because Gregory reminds me of, in some ways, and it's probably a bit of a burden to heap on him, but he reminds me of the young Neil Harris in some respects. He's not the biggest of, of strikers, but he's he's very nimble, and he seems to have an eye for goal, and, and he's got a quick you know, football brain. But... He's not your old school John Fashionu, Paul Moody, Lumbit forwards kind of striker, and we do seem to rely on that a little bit too much for comfort at times. Yeah, I don't think he particularly works well in that system. So I don't think we're getting the best out of him with McDonald and Wolford playing behind him, really. And uh, as you say, he's he's raw, isn't he? There's something to be moulded there, and I Very, think the best, yeah, yeah. the best way to achieve that is by having a striker alongside him, really. I was just going back to James Henry and referring to Lee Martin. I mean, I, I, I think what we are missing, and we saw it a bit with our goals yesterday, is the role of the winger. I mean, I, I, clearly football evolution seems to be taking us away from the traditional winger, you know, hugging the, uh, the, the, the byline and getting the crosses in. But that's how we scored our goals yesterday. Lee Martin basically working the, the you know, the, the, the sidelines and then putting balls into danger areas from the sides. And... You know, what do we know? We're just fans, Charlie, you and me, but it seems to be that the football intellectuals don't regard that as the way that you play football anymore. I can't make head and tail out of it, to be to be quite honest. It is quite confusing. I like the fact that we're trying to embrace other things, but I think we need to do the basics right before we can actually evolve in a way. And yesterday, like... I think the case in point was that when you need to put the opposition's goal under siege, you're probably better off with two ringers on the pitch. Precisely. I mean, I, I don't knock passing football in, in as a concept, but it must have purpose. And I, we, yeah. which You and me have said this a few times, and we'll say it again, but sometimes it can go around in circles or in triangles, probably a better better description. Um, it, it has to have some direct cutting edge, and that's, that's what we seem to have almost eliminated out of our side in favour of players that are comfortable with the football and will pick a pass. All, all very well, but if you don't get a shot on goal, you're going to go nowhere. But there we are. What do we know? We only, we only, we only pay the money to enter the stadium, don't we, Charlie? Exactly. So, you know, exactly. there we are. The other, the other crucial factor I understand, Jesse, was there were some pigeons on the pitch and uh, Prince busted on, on the House of Fun. Uh, referred to one one spectator who kept telling me to aim for the fucking pigeons because apparently they're, they're down they're down at the wolves' end, so the pigeons were the, the the critical target that we had to aim at. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're like the ravens of the Tower of London. Keep those pigeons, Andy Ambler. It's a damning indictment, isn't it, when you've got wildlife sort of settling into the goal market? <laughs> <laughs> Holloway, one in, like, just to close off the the match review. Holloway made an interesting quote, and I just want to get your take on it, Charlie. I mean, he said that eighteen years of experience, managerial experience, helped me get back in the game. Um, now, leave aside the me get back in the game because actually he wasn't on the pitch, but helped us get back into the game. I'm not sure that he can claim eighteen years of managerial experience in these decisions because it was also the eighteen years experience that put us in the shit in the first place, wasn't it? Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the point that made according to tough. McDuff is that no mate, the atmosphere the Mill fans made got them back into that game. Uh, I, I think there's, you know, clearly you can go around in circles on these on these kinds of things. But once you get that goal, once you bring the den into play, i.e., by playing attacking direct football of some sort, the, the den becomes a weapon that is is in our favour. But um, I'm, I'm, it just struck me that he's claiming 18 years of management experience of getting himself out of out of the hole there, and um, 
but ignoring the fact that that's what put him in there in the first place. Ian Holloway, I suppose that's just typical Holloway talk, isn't it? It's a very dubious claim. I think it's important to recognise how much Wolves contributed to their own downfall as well, to be honest. They, they looked shocking at the back. And and anyone who's 3-0 up in a game and then doesn't come away with all three points really does need to have a long, hard look in the mirror, to be fair. Typical Kenny Jacket. I mean, I suppose, you know, it's, it, although he got the ovation and we all look fondly on him, he was not a man without or a manager without flaws, same as same as we all have our flaws, but he, he's, one of his flaws was he never had a plan B, did he? Once he established the situation, you know, I don't think he ever was quite comfortable with any other way other than the game plan that he'd set out from the very start. And I think Wolves must regard themselves as having thrown away points there, having been gifted 3-0 lead, and then, then to lose their way in that way, I think will be, uh, you know, <laughs> shocking from their point of view but there we are This is Octoon Millwall Radio Stay tuned for more Millwall conversation after these messages Three nil, and you fucked it up. 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 Three. Ah, oh, Mel, we love you. Uh, no, 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 it's all calling here today, following the free-free draw at home, home to Wolves. Um, a brilliant comeback from the Mighty Lions. Um, I mentioned in dispatches today for our goal scorers, uh, uh, Gregory and for Fuller. I thought were excellent. Um, I'm a bit, bit dis- disappointed with Gregory's uh, missed towards the end. Um, but I must say, I wasn't, I wasn't too, too surprised. We, we did come back from, from 3 0 down the way, the way the game was going. Um, the only thing that, that, that did surprise me today was, was was the fact that so many so many people I, I, I won't I won't call them for fans left, left when we were three 0 down as, as as some of them were leaving in in the, in the block that I was in I, I was screaming we're the playing at the the day and against the Kenny Jackie side for the good Lord's sake do 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 none of you remember Birmingham at home. Oh, but, but, but you know, still, still they left. They, 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 they didn't pay attention, and still they left. But, but that's, 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 to, you know, that's, that's, that's something, something they, they were regret anyway, isn't it? Um, anyway, off the back of um, today's game, I've, I've already written a uh, chant for us Millwall fans um, when we play play uh, Wolves um, up, up at their place um, later in the season. So for those of you who are going, um, it, it is the first draft, but but um, but, but here, here it goes anyway. Um, it's to, to, to a tune you might recognise, and this this is this is it. It goes. Return of the Jack, it. Return of the Jack, it. Return of the Jack, it. Three nil and you melted. E I O. Return of the Jack, it. Return of the Jack, it. Return of the Jack, it. Three nil and you, you melted. E I O. Um, so, you know, first draft, but um, we, we can work on that. Any any amendments, please, please, uh, please, uh, please get your get your suggestions in uh, um, one way or another. Um, 
But to sum up, it's a sort of, you know, a very satisfactory day, a great comeback. I know a great memory from Millwall fans um, across the world and those who were there today and those who didn't leave um, and who didn't remember the Birmingham at home. Um, but Nigel signing off now. Over and out. Cheerio. Good evening, Nicholas. Um, today, yeah, it wasn't too bad, was it? Um, Free all Dan, we do free all. The manager is bongers. He don't know what he's doing, does he? Oh no, he ain't. He's a genius. We do free all. You make your own mind up. Who's right? Who's wrong? It's better than watching the poxy X Factor, isn't it? See ya. Taking the piss, eh, Walls? I don't fucking think so. Cunt. Yes. Ooh, just been on off. Um, oh, what's it? The uh, cab driver's mafia site, as they say. Yes, went to today's game. 3-0 down. Um, last time I remember this was uh, probably when we played uh, Wigan. God, more decade ago, that was. So done quite well to come back. Um, Kenny Jacket on his comeback got some tremendous applause. Um, I haven't seen this for quite a while. Um, James Henry, um, well, James Henry got lots of abuse, bits of stick, and probably one of the quickest uh, bookings I've seen from an ex-player on revisiting uh, his old club, i.e. us, Millwall. Um, yes, so um, a good crowd, um, good atmosphere. Uh, some people complained, like, because we were 3-0 down, but I think uh, it was... Uh, you know, I was quite happy, really. I mean, 3 nil down, and then back to 3 all. The fuller was good, very good. I mean, I think we could maybe, um, you know, bring you know, keep him for sort of the last 20 minutes. Maybe not a full game, but very, very happy. And, uh, yes, um, well, what, what, what more can I say? But um, just uh, well done to the boys and keeping it up. Some people wasn't happy that uh, Kenny Jacket... Uh, Mr. Weasel Face, as he likes to be called, um, or they like to call him anyway, um, they're saying it's not the Millwall that they once knew and loved, because they should have got more abuse. But um, he's done quite well for us. He's a bit boring, I know, and unlike me, I'm a very interesting person. And uh, just thought I'd like to say, uh, well done. And um, I've seen Mr. Octung couldn't be there today, but uh, never mind. And... Uh, Let's hope uh, it's onwards and upwards. And for those uh, slanging uh, Mr. Holloway off, I mean, get a life. I mean, you know, he's done well for us. So, um, anyway, there is uh, all the best, and uh, bye for now. Bye-bye. Let's move on to the Millwall news for the week, Charlie. Um, some great, great initiative. The first thing I just want to mention is this camouflage kit that um, the club have announced for um, a one-off for the Brentford home game on the, on the 8th of November. I don't know if you've seen the story, but it was all over the back page of the Sun. Fantastic publicity for the club. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Very proud to be a Millwall fan when I see things like this. And what I like now is that when, when we actually argue against the perception of the club, like the negative perception... Yeah, it's not just a platitude anymore because we're doing things like this. You know, we're donating our sponsor to prostate cancer. Very much so. Previously, yeah. before that, you know, we refused to be sponsored by. I think it was Quick Quid. 
Yes, we did. Yeah, it was a uh, payday loan company, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're actually doing things that aren't just, in my opinion, noble, but in a financial sense, almost quite perverse. And the fact that we're doing that just shows how much emphasis there is on us being a real community club. I think it's wonderful. I, I agree. I mean, we, we don't know the finances of how this initiative's going to work. I'm going to guess that the profits are over and above the, the, the various taxes and the various cuts that the manufacturer makes and so on and so forth. But there's going to be a profit that goes to a place called Headley Court, which is an army rehabilitation centre for, for our boys that come back from um, the various wars we're involved in now with, with um, awful injuries. So... Clearly, anything that generates money for a cause like that is to be applauded. Uh, it's also got a poppy um, logo on on the bed on the on the shirt rather, which is a kind of like a khaki camouflage um, army style shirt. Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. I, I, I really take my my hat off to Millwall Football Club for putting this together. The you know the the publicity that generates for our club is fantastic, and um, well done to everyone involved in it. I don't think there's anyone that can really say anything against this and if you know my message to everyone is get behind it buy a shirt i know that buying replica kits isn't our thing charlie is it but um no. this, is, this is one to make an exception for i think i believe so i think i could forgive anyone for buying one of these to be fair very much so so well I done think, well done Millwall. i think also it's quite a nice kind of remedy to the uh pink away shirt potential as well well, should we mention that, the Pink Away kit? I mean, I, I've got it on our list of things to talk about. I mean, it, there was a bit of a piss-takey article in, in the Mirror, or it was in the Metro, and it, it, there was some kind of wanky journalist. I, I had an image of a, a university-educated Euro 96 post kind of tosspot, you know, with um, Arsenal kind of fan or something like that. And he's trying to organise um, the general public to vote for one of the four options that the club have presented for our away kit for next season, 2015-16. And one of the options there was a pink colour. And ho, 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 we thought it'd be terribly amusing for Millwall to be playing in pink. But that's a fatal misreading of, of, of our club, Charlie. I mean, you know, pink is actually de rigueur at the den, isn't it? I mean, how many pink, um, you know, uh, Ralph Lauren shirts do you see knocking around on match? So it's, it's not exactly an unknown colour down there, is it? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually voted several times to uh, get a shirt. I'm fully behind the initiative. <laughs> Charlie's comfortable in pink. I'm comfortable in pink. I wear pink shirts to work. It's not. Real men wear pink. Real men wear pink. We're comfortable in our sexuality. So, you know, this. It, I just thought it was a bit of a wanky story, and and they'll probably organise it so that the pink one does come through. And I think actually, thinking in all seriousness, it'll be a seller. Actually, I th- it was a kind of um, I think more of a cerise. I think it's like a. a, a Somewhere between a red and a pink. Um, fuchsia, perhaps. Fuchsia. Let's, 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 this is a real Millwall show, so let's not pursue yeah. this colour theme too much. It'll, it'll be uh, something on UK Living or something, you know, wedding dress type uh, show on that. But no, I thought it was quite, it's quite a nice colour. And, you know, in the end, it's only a football shirt, isn't it? You know, it's um, who, who gives a shit in the end. But there we are. Um, Josh Wright, Charlie, has been lined up for a move to the Chicago Fire. What a great name, the Chicago Fire in Major League Soccer in, in the United States. Um, an unusual move, actually. I suppose it's it's either go to the US and Major League out there or knock around the lower leagues here, which um, probably isn't such a palatable prospect for him. Yeah, it, it is strange. And I think um, looking into it is because the MLS want to change their kind of recruitment. So they're not so much placing the emphasis on getting 
big name players at the end of their careers for one last payday. We're certainly and, getting not, they're achieving that with Josh, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're looking at getting players who've played quite a lot of football league, um, have got a lot of championship experience, who are still sort of in their mid twenties. Yeah, and uh, I suppose Josh does actually fit the bill there, but. I'm still not entirely convinced they know what they're getting into. He draws a lot of hostility, Josh, and I actually don't mind him. I mean, you know, he's got the kind of Towie type of um, thing, isn't he? You know, and that, that's 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 his bag. And fair plays a lot that go for that kind of look, and that's that's all very well. But I don't mind him. He's, he just isn't good enough at championship level. I think that's that's the truth of it. And you know, I'm, I'm not either. But no one hates me in the same way as they hate Josh Wright. I suppose I don't get paid money to turn out for Millwall, but. Um, um, it's it's a bit unfair at times, you know. You're only as good as you are. I think you'll do well in, in Major League Soccer. You know, I think the um, the level from what I've seen of it on TV at is probably about right for him. I think he will will be seen as quite a decent passing midfielder out there. I think the pacing's right for him there as well. Yeah, it's as fast and furious as the Championship or anything in England, and uh, it will give him the ability to just sort of focus on knocking the ball about rather than having to deal with the physicality of anything. Let's be honest, you know, if if, the, if it's a choice between moving to Stevenage or Crawley or Chicago, which one are you going to choose, you know? Um, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? So, I think that's how we should assess whether someone's real wall or not, though. <laughs> I mean, if they choose like, Crawley, then, yeah. Good luck, Josh. I actually, I wish, I wish him well out there because I, 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 I always thought he had something about him. He does have a passing brain, but um, just not good enough, unfortunately, at the championship level. So, all the best to him. Um, there was a good story on on the news at Den here, and someone made a, uh, I think, a butterfly collector made the interesting point that in the week that Manchester City open up a two hundred million pound training facility up there in Manchester, uh, Millwall have installed a new bath. <laughs> this is how uh, um, a new ice ice bath for post match rehabilitation and fatigue. Um, but I think it was just a contrast between City. You know, putting together some high tech um, training centre and us having a new bath, basically, um, an ice bath. Charlie, you ever had an ice bath, Charlie? I've never had one. I never, I've never had an ice bath. Um, no, um, I think I think the benefits of it are, are clear to see, just in terms of like it's, it stops muscle injuries and it's it's quite useful after like probably like a game like yesterday that would have been quite demanding physically, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a bit odd, isn't it? I just logged on the story on News at Den now, and I've got this fucking advert that looms up. Every time you go on any story on the News at Den, you get, like, a, a video advert, and someone just started singing, I'm, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas over what you just said there. But I might leave it in just for the hell of it, Charlie, you know. Why not? I mean, we are getting towards that season now, and uh, you know, <laughs> had a bit of family sort of uh, related to the show. <laughs> so it's a, called a cryo spa. It's a hydrotherapy machine. Um, Trevor Keys, our director, has, has funded it. So well done to Trevor. It's a water jet principle. Must be bloody horrible sitting in that. Jesus, freezing cold water being shot at you by forty water jets. And they're kind they, of they deserve it sometimes. Sometimes they do. So um, well done to Trevor. Trevor Keys. Here's a story that is, I should, I, in my opinion, should draw the anger of every single Millwall fan, every single football fan, actually, for that matter. Our chief executive, Andy Ambler, is talking seriously about the Football League exploring the, the Game 39 idea, staging around the Football League fixtures abroad. Um, I mean, it was, it's kind of made a comeback with at Premier League level. I think the the idea of money chasing money is uh, always going to be attractive, and. 
Andy seems to think the Football League should follow suit. I, I, I've got this image of Mill versus Leeds in Dubai or somewhere like that. You know, I can't see it taking taking hold, but he seems to think it could be a money generator. Yeah, I think he's talking fucking nonsense. To be honest, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's an interesting idea, just for the sheer folly of it. I mean, these, these people have no. Let's, let's leave aside the tradition. Let's leave aside the um, you know the structure of the league since it was in. It began a very successful league, incidentally, uh, by their own admission. This is the reason why they're trying to f- you know flog the dead horse abroad in a sense. But really, I mean, who is going to watch and where are we going to go to stage this round of fixtures? Who's going to watch Bournemouth play Cholton in, I don't know, where? Kazakhstan? So, or something? Where are we going to go with this, you know? Yeah. Who's, who's going to want it? Who's going to want us to come over to them on a, on a, on a, on a, you know, a weekend-long jolly? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I think uh, the example Ambly used was us playing Bournemouth in Boston. Yeah, who the fuck's going to turn out for that? I mean... You know, I mean, John Berylson can't have that many friends, can he? I mean, who, who would show for such a fixture? This is this is where football starts to eat itself. And although I want our club to succeed, and you, and you want the um, the game itself to progress, part of you just wants it to crash and burn when they come out with this kind of crap. You know, this is not what we this is not what we're about. It's not what the game is about. I, it, it really did make me laugh. Oh Jesus! Is you know, it's like the last days of the Roman Empire in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, and I think if the Premier League are refusing to go with this outright, then there's absolutely no reason why the Football League should be looking into it, really. I think the Premier League are looking to revive it. I think they would love to stage around the Premier League fixtures somewhere, I don't know, Far East or you know somewhere where the money will, will slosh around. Um, it got knocked back in 2008, 2009-ish, and I think there's now talk that it might tentatively be talked about once again. Uh, and the football league are trying to follow suit, but it's just the idea of us, you know, um, Brentford versus Millwall in Falaraki. Maybe that might work. That might that might be a good one, mightn't it? <laughs> well, might be grenades on the pitch. <laughs> Last, but and p- possibly least in a way, we've we've brought in a hypnotherapist to help our players, Charlie. Um, apparently, uh, Ian Holloway's a believer in sports psychology. Psychology. And he's brought in a hypnotherapist, uh, ex-boxer called um, is it Steve Gatley, I think is his name, Catley, um, to try and get inside the minds of some of our players and help them to make the most of themselves. Yeah, I don't really know anything whatsoever about hypnotherapy, but I do think that football has been left behind in terms of sports psychology and that there is validity in the suggestion that, you know, if you make sure that your players are 100% when it comes to the, their mental health, then... It's going to pay dividends on the pitch. Clearly, meant. I mean, the, the strength of mind of, of a player is is a critical part of his game. I mean, you know, we're just going back to James Henry earlier on. You know, you, you have to be mentally prepared to come out of Millwall, both playing for us and against us. And and clearly, he wasn't yesterday, which in itself is surprising for somebody that knew the club so well. And and equally, some players can fold. I mean, Lewis Graben is probably the great example at Mill of, of a potential player that had talent and is showing that talent elsewhere, but it just wasn't the right environment for him to step up to the plate in. Who knows what could have been achieved if, you know, um, Ollie's, Ollie's hypnotherapist had got inside Lewis Graben's mind. I wonder what's in there, inside his mind, actually. it's quite It might be quite an interesting place, mightn't it? Probably just framed pictures of himself. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> we're straying off subject here. I've, 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 um, for the next magazine, CBL, I've, I've actually, this is not new, but incidentally, um, back in the 70s, the Millwall employed a very um, dodgy hypnotherapist bloke called Romark, who was like a poor man's Darren Brown back in the <laughs> 70s. And uh, he famously put a curse on Crystal Palace, like a, like a gypsy-style curse, um, when they were on their, their cup run and they went out in the semi-final. So um, that, that was good. And um, he worked with the Millwall players, Romark, and... Um, he, he became nicknamed Skidmark. That this is. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 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 I wonder what happened. As part of the article, I just w- found out what happened to Romark. He, he made a claim that he could drive a car blindfold by psychic power, and he, he staged an event in Ilford um, where he would drive a, a car um, blindfold um, on the road, and he would just guide himself by psychic power. And um, he hit a, hit a lamppost. <laughs> that was the end of Romark and his and his reputation. I think he, he died some years afterwards. Um, I'm not actually surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if Romark's not with us anymore. Romark is no longer with us. But I'm not in any way comparing the well-respected sports psychologist, ex-boxing um, champion, uh, Steve Catley, whatever his name is, to Romark, who was a charlatan at the best. There we are. That's that's the Millwall news for the week, Charlie. I really appreciate you coming on the show, mate. I know it was a bit of a rush for you this morning. Ah, oh, you're welcome, Nick. Great we're stuff, it, mate. We're going to be right back after these messages with our listed line this week, which is Mr. Mark Baxter. Stick around for that. The author of the Mumper and um, involved in the in the feature film Outside Bet. So stick around for that. Want the full Millwall picture? Then get yourself a copy of CBL magazine. It's the Millwall magazine, written by fans for fans. It's packed with Millwall news, views and opinions. Just two quid, it's on sale before all home games at Zampa Road. No one likes Millwall, but everyone loves CBL. All right, welcome to the show now, our listed lion uh, for this week, which is Mr Mark Baxter. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hello, mate, how are you? Well, I'm good, how are you? you I'm you... very well, thank you. Yeah, a bit busy at the moment with various things, but uh, all good, really, no complaints. Fantastic. Um, now, whilst you're on the show, you're a very interesting character, Mark. I, I stand on the corner at Zampa Road, and I watch, yeah. I watch the Millwall World go past, and... Always, when you go past, you're always a very well-turned-out, well-dressed man, I've got to say. Thank you. <laughs> not, not a dandy, but a very well-turned-out gentleman. So, Thank you. Um, now, first up is your name or nom de plume. You're known as Bax. Um, yeah. To, yeah. to, to um, like TC, to, to your friends and close family, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's just a nickname I picked up at, uh, at work, really. And um, over the years, it's just, it's just what, you know, just stuck, really. And I'll get called Bax, Max... Jacks, but maybe backs. <laughs> we'll stick. Maybe we'll stick. Don't with... get your balls up, but most people will be backs. <laughs> we'll stick with Mark tonight, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> now you're a bit of a Renaissance man, Mark. I've been I've been doing doing my research, oh, yeah. and yeah. Um, I admire this in anyone, and I admire this in 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 yourself as well, because clearly you've you've had um, a changing career direction. I'm picking up from from what I've, yeah. I've seen. Yeah. You started out as um, what, you, what you call a mailroom monkey. I mean, <laughs> I like that description. Well, really, to be honest with you, when I, left, when I left school, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Not a clue. Right. And I went to school at Paragon, the old, on the old game road. So um, it wasn't the best last couple of years there. I just, it just lost interest completely on both sides, really. The teachers lost interest, we lost interest. So <laughs> I didn't really come out with any, any qualifications, no real idea what I wanted to do. Right. And then I sort of stumbled into the print um, around about 18. Um, had a couple of mates there. My dad worked, worked short shift there over there again. 
So we got in there, and uh, I stayed there for 13 years. Right. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was... Uh, it was like a univer- going to university. Um, <laughs> of life, of life, learning, I guess. Obviously. Yeah. But a great time. I bet. Because, I mean, you would have joined the print probably at a, a quite a, an interesting period in its its development, yeah. really. It was a dying, in dying industry, would you say, at that point? I went in, I went in 82. Yeah. Um, so, Sogat had just been formed. So, we used to be, when I first started, I got Matt Soka card, then I got that Sogat 82 card. Yeah. Obviously, then it went into the whopping dispute. Yeah. And I was always being told by the old fellas there that, you know, Join at the wrong time, son. This was a job for life. You joined it just at the time. It's all going to go wrong. <laughs> and they were proved right. But I still had some great times and met some people there that I've never forgotten and uh, real strong friends with many of them to this day. Yeah. Um, wonderful times. But um, yeah, I sadly got my redundant eventually in 96. The job changed rapidly and um, all over the place. Did loads of different jobs in there. But, you know, mainly sort of admin bit of printing. Right. And, um, you know, Melbourne work, really, and I just sort of stayed there. But what I was doing on, on the side of all that, like most people in the print had a couple of jobs, really, that the, because of the shift work you did. Yeah. You're in the little well, other interest. And one, one was always music and clubs and going out and, you know, doing the running events and stuff. So I was going to maybe quite a few sort of, I would call mud-related okay. sort of events. So that was my interest in music, the sort of 60s soul music and the jazz and the yeah. and the clothing as well. That was also a passion of mine. So I was always into that. I mean, um, that was my sideline. So I started running a few nights, a bit of DJ and stuff, and put a few nights on. And I had a clothing, had a clothing stall down at Camden Market at the same time. So it was, right. all, it was all going on around the same sort of... Yeah. just working as sort of nine to five. Or, but I just kept getting jobs in the mailroom because they were easy to do. No real responsibility. <laughs> and, it, and it freed up me to do whatever else I wanted to do. So I, I, I worked out quite early on that I was never going to become the head of ICI. Right. So I might as well just go and do what I want to do and just pay the bills and mortgage through doing a job that was pretty nine to five. Fantastic. Um, and that's what I did for quite a long time, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, you know, I'm just looking through your, you, you know, obviously I've done the research on LinkedIn, but I mean, mm. a man of many talents. I mean, like you just described, I mean, DJ, event organiser, music yeah. manager. Yeah. Also, you put... a few bands, managed a few bands, and um, mainly did a bit of DJ for about three, four years, always the West End sort of style, yeah. you know, sort of mod 60 sort of clubs. You know, bit it or miss money wise, but it was always good fun. Met loads of people. That's what I started to do. I started to run into loads of people, influential people, people in the media, right? Um, other writers that I I admired, people like Paolo Hewitt, who was a big, yeah, big, yeah, big fan yeah, of. Yeah. Um, he was obviously friends with Paul Weller and um, people like Gary Crowley, and that sort of little little world that yeah. I got quite quickly involved with. And um, yeah, I've just had. I, as I said before, I always had other ideas than just a job. So um, I started thinking about book ideas, and I said to Paolo one day, I've got this idea about a book called The Fashion of Football, which right. was really around sort of around 2002. It was really ideas of the, the, what the clothes, what the guys were wearing on the terraces, right, as well as what the players were wearing. So it was like from the sort of mid mid. I suppose late fifties, early sixties to the to the present day. So we sort of did it from sixty four to two thousand and four. That was the aim. Okay. So we we took in George Best right through to David Beckham, and so you had the two top and tail players of you know who, who sort of transcended football. Right. Um, they could have been anything then. So they could you know basically basically massive massive celebrities in their own right, and just based around football, they could have been anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Um, I then looked into what the guys were wearing on the terrace. So obviously you did your mod fashions, your skinheads, your casuals, and then you had the label, sort of label, Slady Stone Island, your Prada. 
um, that sort of thing. And then obviously what the players are wearing. So you know, the, the, you know, some of the mad seventies haircuts and the perms <laughs> and the big flares. And it was a, it was not, it was a nice idea. We sort of did it as a bit of a journey. We both went on the journey, and I got the job to research that book. I had the idea, but I couldn't write it. I didn't have the skills to write. Right. It. Okay. So Paolo was very kind to say to me, look, you know, you research it, you find all the details out, you find the interviews, and then I'll help you, I'll write it, and we could do it together. So it, it was my sort of foot in the door, really. Right, okay. And uh, that was, that's how that, that all sort of started that way, really. Because Paolo Hewitt was an NME writer. I, I seem right. to, seem yeah, to remember I, his name from, from when I used to... I used to buy. read him religiously, actually. Yeah. Really did. I mean, I was genuinely was a fan of his writing. He did a couple of books on the small phases as well, which is also sort of band that I, I liked a lot. So yeah. Yeah. it was a sort of like-minded sort of person to sort of work with, and it was a joy, really, to learn through um, his experiences, really. Fantastic. We're going to come back to your writing later okay. in, in in the conversation, Mark. Yep. So we're going to start running for our listed lines questions. Okay. Um, so, um, what was your first Millwall game, mate? Can you remember your first ever game down yeah, down well, the den? The memory I've got is uh, versus Sunderland. Um, right. The old den, obviously. Back, I'm, I don't know, late mid mid to late sixties. Um, a night right. game. Okay. I can remember Jimmy Montgomery, the goalkeeper, flying about like a. Lunatic, good goalkeeper. Yes, indeed. And uh, I just remember the just the sights and smells of that game, uh, and, and sort of flashes of memories of it. But beyond under lights, the noise of the ball on the grass. I mean, I'd have been around sort of six and seven years of age, so right. I didn't really know what was going on. To be honest, but the old, <laughs> the old man was an absolutely fervent Millwall fan. I had no option where I was going to go. It was just, you want to go football, you're going to go down there. And that was it, really. And we we sat in the seats because I was so small. Yeah, yeah. And as I got older, we started going cold by lane in yeah. um, uh, with my uncle and my dad. And then sort of over, over the course of time, halfway line. So we travelled around that ground, really. It was a... Um, sort of just uh, I mean that on the halfway line for the sort of the Sheringham Cash Green no years. So it's a familial choice. You had no real um, other other um, you know option in a matter. Well, I, I, to be honest, I, I love Millwall very early on, but then my uncle was West Ham, which is quite right. my family's quite weird like that, and, and, he, and he was <laughs> trying to get me to go down there. And I went down there a few times, up to the park in the Billy Bonds sort of Brooking era. And I sort of got tempted by them because they was obviously in, in the high level. Well, they used to be, yes, right, playing for Division 1 and they actually yeah. won the Cup once, didn't they? So, um, yeah, so we got a bit tempted with that. And <laughs> the World Cup, of course. That, but... they, they won the World Cup as well, Mark. So. Yeah, well, so they keep saying this, yeah. <laughs> but the old man wasn't having that. But he basically, he, he sort of got married. Obviously, the, 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 the aggravation was quite nasty in the early 70s and yeah. he was a bit worried about me going down there on my own for that with my mate. So he got a bit, um, he was quite clean up for me to go West End with my uncles because... It was not so bad. It was pretty bad there, but it wasn't yeah. as bad as Mill Walker had got on your own, you know. No, no. You, so it, it, I got a bit divided a lot very early on, but, um, you know, I soon sort of grew out of that once I went to school in Paragon and yeah. the Mill Walker guys there at school and uh, secondary school. So it was just uh, a fleeting uh, year or so. But really, Millwall's always been, uh, you know, staunch Millwall, really. Fair enough. I mean, I suppose it was a different era back then, Mark. I mean, yeah. you know, I think this is something that sometimes younger listeners and, and you know, fans now don't really realise it. It was a lot easier to go and watch football on, on, a, on a whim on a Saturday Absolutely. morning. I mean, I, I used to go Chelsea, Arsenal, 
Yeah. Um, when I was in the printer, because the guys all supported different teams. If Millwall were away one week, I'd get tickets for Chelsea, I'd get tickets for the Arsenal. Did I'm mean, just because you went didn't mean you supported them. No, it's not easy no. to get, get to a game, stand in the terracing. Um, and it didn't seem quite as... I mean, now it sounds quite odd when you say that, because it's obviously, you know, you've got to give a lot more money and yeah. you're sort of not so bothered about it. But back then, I just went where the... Obviously, a few, a few pints a night out, really, so... Football was just what I loved, and uh, wherever I could go and get a game, I would do that, you know. I think also, I mean, nowadays we're so used to a torrent of live football on television. Um, for you know, for speaking for myself, I used to go and watch Charlton one week, Mill or another, because I wanted right. to watch football, same as yeah. you've just said there. And it does sound odd when you repeat it back now, given how it all's turned out, but that was yeah. the way it was then, wasn't it? it wasn't... Yeah, I mean, the West Ham, obviously, West Ham thing's quite toxic, I mean, you know, people get really um, emotional, really upset yeah. With that. yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean. In say some ways, rightly so, some of the things that have gone on, but um, you know, it's difficult to bring that into the conversation. But there's no point lying. I mean, you know, um, you know, people will know that just watch that, watch football. It really didn't matter where it was too much, just football. But obviously, certain names like that will um, get a, a, quite a heated reaction. Really. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, I noticed, uh, you, you know, you're obviously you're, you're probably most famous, I suppose, uh, um, uh, for the work you've done with the Mumper, the, the yeah. book, book that you wrote, which then went yeah. on to become a feature film yeah. starring Bob Hoskins, Jenny Agata, I, I think, yeah. and um, uh, other, other leading lights. So I, mean, I suppose there's, <laughs> you know, coming from the print and going to Millwall, as I said to Frank Carper in the last interview I did, it's, it's a rich ground for characters and, and for people that, um, you know, you couldn't invent in many respects. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that, that book could become, come out of that sort of world, really, because the guys that it was based on, the book's based on the those sort of six, seven guys in a pub in South, well, Camwell, basically South London, South East London. Yeah. And they were all connected with Millwall one way or the other. They all went down years ago or just had an allegiance to it. So it was a Millwall sort of book, really. It was just a character. They were just funny guys, really, just without realising they were funny, you know. In, yeah, in, yeah. In their own little way, they were just hysterical. But, they, you know, they never really, they had such a little distance to it. I didn't really realise that. So I was writing about that. But the funny thing with that is, basically, I couldn't get a uh, that was after the first book, the fashion of football. I couldn't get, and I got bitten by the bug then. Me being yeah. me, I was just get bitten by a certain thing. <laughs> I've got to do it, and um, I couldn't get a publishing deal, so I published it myself with redundancy money. Did you? Print, pretty much. Wow. And um, yeah, well, I'm a little bit left over, so I thought, well, if I'm if I'm gonna if I want people to buy it, I've got to back myself really. So I printed up sort of uh, 50, copies, and then backs, sold them yeah. in the pub. Basically, went to the wow. pub, and everyone because everyone was in the pub was in the book. They bought a copy. They then said, you know, like, this is a favour to me, really, not really thinking it was any good. And then people were saying, coming back, saying, my wife read that, and she wants a copy, and my uncle wants a copy, and my son wants a copy. So it sort of took off locally. I ended up sending nearly a 1,000 copies, which is incredible. It's fantastic. Most, print, most yeah. publishers don't really get that sort of uh, pub, uh, selling rate. And then... Um, a guy on me from out of blue called Tony Humphreys, who's, uh, who sits at Millwall now. He's his day Millwall support the season to go. And he sits bang up as it me in the East Upper. I'm, I'm in the East Upper, so he's in the West Upper. Right. And Tony was a Millwall fan, and he rang me up and said, how authentic is this book? You know, yeah. where are you from? And I said, we started talking. He could understand. Obviously, the accent was quite strong. Yeah. <laughs> we got on really well. So that, that, the Millwall thing, even then, sort of worked his oracle. Yeah. He had a TV company that, Bought the rights, then made it into then bought the, then decided to make a film with it. And the kid that played me in the film, Callum McNabb, is also a Millwall fan. So um, I was going to ask so you about the, that. The Millwall connection was, was 
striving for that book, for that for that project was incredible. I mean, it's it's, it's a it's a lovely story, um, and clearly clearly it's rooted in like the word you you've used there, authenticity. I think that's yeah. that's a very good choice of word. Something I've always wanted to ask you, and never had the chance to till now. But the the story itself is that based on a, a real life event, the the purchase of a racehorse. Well, <laughs> they was all racing mad in that pub. It was they were literally or can be mad really, but racing. My dad was that should be. <laughs> Terrible with the game, he yeah. murder it. Yeah. But he, he loved the game, but um, they would always say the conversation would always get round one day when I win the lottery or when I win a few cups, <laughs> I'm going to buy a racehorse. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it never did, but I, I was sort of writing, the, not really writing the stories down. But my dad sadly died in 2000, right, um, right. got the cancer, and, and and I was sort of then I woke up very quickly that if you ever want to do anything in life, you better do it quick because um, it goes very fast and. Or one minute you're there, or one minute you're not. Now it sounds quite dramatic, but my dad was ill and dead within three months. Right. So I was very aware then that you know you keep talking about doing these sort of things, well you better go and do them. Good so, advice. Um, yeah, after, no. having, after, after having quite a, a success with the first book, I was off and running. I was, was going to be, I was going to definitely going to do this. So I started writing, and um, you know the stories were just there in the pub. Sitting with the guys in the right, pub, they would say something, and it would just get. It was, it was like a script, really. <laughs> and I, I, my imagination was quite strong, and I thought the old story was, you know, a valid story. Yeah. And uh, the, most, a lot of the stories within the book are, are true. A lot of the thing, lot of the things that went on and, and yeah. events went on are true. Fantastic. Which is, people don't believe, but it's, it's true. <laughs> they did actually do most of the stuff that's in that book. Fantastic. Who's your favourite all-time Millwall player, Mark? Who would you choose? Well, the one that, one that I remember very, very uh, fondly is Gold Neal. Um, when I was growing up, he was a sort of very exciting player. Yeah. Um, and whenever he got the ball, it was just you just thought so it was going to happen. So, um, as a young youngster, he was the one player I loved watching. Right. And then as I got older, I mean Terry had become the sort of um, obviously Terry's favourite, but I love Terry's uh, attitude. And yeah. I thought he was also a very underrated player, which also got lost in all the sort of oh, that's going to get you. Yeah, I mean we've had a, we've had this a few times, and uh, you know we keep saying it. We say it again, he was a very underrated player. He played for, played for England B, didn't he? I mean, yeah, was, you don't get there by being a slouch, and um, he did have no. touch, and he could make he could make a pass as well. So clearly. You know, he's always the eternal hard man, isn't he, in midfield? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there was more to his game than just that. You and know. the stuff he's at really, he just summed up that club perfectly. You know, like, if you, when it was like Mike and Bullets, you had him in the middle, and uh, he would, he seemed to be, just be us out. If we could play football, if we could, we were good enough, that's what we would have been like. I would have been like that. I was never <laughs> going to score many goals, but I would work as hard as possible to for the club. And I just got that feeling from him watching him play, and that was what he was like. So, yeah. Um, I know a lot of people obviously identify with that. I mean, it's always been this sort of code down there. Well, if you don't put a shift in, then you're going to get told about you it. You will get slated, yeah. Yeah, and I so. think that's what a lot of these young youngsters and kids and, and players coming through have got to learn very quickly. So, I mean, he, he epitomised that for me. And, uh, yeah, I think the favourite player would, would be Terry, but, I mean, the one I remember very fondly as a kid would be Gordon Hill, yeah. Yeah, no, fantastic choices, both. Um, your worst player, Mark. This, this, <laughs> we're going to swing round the diametric opposite now, mate. We, we've gone from the heights to the, uh, to the, uh, the gutter. Right. Who, who would you choose? The worst one you've ever well, seen. The one, that, one that sprang to mind when I thought that was Paul Goddard. Yes. Um, <laughs> just because of the money they spent on him, really. It was like, you know, and, and I mean, you had a chance, really, poor soul, really coming from West Ham and stuff, but the, the, the sort of uh, the West Ham connection. But, you know, the, the, you know, the the money that was a lot of money at the time, and he never, he just never happened, did it? He never he got there. No, just no, he didn't. It just didn't work for him. And um, no. I remember him 
looking like he's, you know, what was I, what have I done here? Why have I come here? You know, and he was getting slaughtered most of the time. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he's been it's been one or two since, but he's the one that Paul Goddard, good choice. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly remains our, our, our most expensive transfer to this day. I mean, which is quite incredible, given that really? it was what nineteen yeah. ninety he came to us in the yeah. the old first division. So yeah, he, he remains eight hundred grand. Like that, wasn't it? it was eight hundred thousand. That was a reported figure, and that remains. Yeah. I, I don't think we've come anywhere close to it since. I think we lashed out a, a couple of 450,000s under Dennis Wise, but I don't think we've ever got anywhere close to, to Goddard's figure at all. Yeah, there's a lot of money, obviously, at the time, still a lot of money, a lot of money at the time, and uh, it just didn't work, did it? And, no. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there's a novel in the Paul Goddard story, kind of a tragic, <laughs> a, a tragic comedy of some. I'm not screwing that one. <laughs> so, Nick, Nick, that idea. Are you actually working. You've got a, new, a book out, Elizabeth Peter and me, Mark. Is, that's, is yeah, that out? Novel, yeah, it's um, after the success of the other one. Uh, people were asking for a new one, so I did that again. Yeah. Um, got offered some pub. This time, got offered the publishing deal, but again, the money was pretty poor. The money in publishing at the moment is pretty poor. They should really? like a big. A big name, um, um, you know, guaranteed big sale. So I decided because I did quite well with the last one self-publishing. I did it again, so I retained all the rights to it. So if right. it takes off, um, I haven't sold anything on it. So I've kept it again. It's sold really well. It's with a couple of TV companies as we speak. So you never know. But again, it's a tough, it's a tough ask. But it's, it's a sort of it's another sort of similar South London tale. Um, right. I always say right about what you know, and that's what I know. Yeah. Um, it's just an old, it's a story about older people, really. A guy, a guy ends up in a sheltered housing complex, age seventy now, seventy-one. But fifty years ago, he was a bit of a lad, okay. um, knocking around solo, up to all sorts of things. And he, and one of the, one of his crimes back in the day, which he he did time for, um, revisits him, and he goes back to it as an old man and looks at it and and fancies fancies another little tickle. So it's it's just a bit of a comedy drama. It's about him, sort of. Realising he's an old man, but still trying to be a young man, really, and it's, um, it's just a bit like that, really. And also, um, it's a story about the way that we, some of us, some people neglect the older in the, in the, of our generation. So, very true. Um, it's a bit of a bit of a nod to that as well, because I've seen that happening quite a lot, and I don't like that. So, um, I'm sort of making a few statements in the book, but you know, I think like, you know we could, we could do more. But you know, it's just my little take on it, really. Oh, so that's called Elizabeth Petrum. That's available for Amazon, I believe, Mike. Yeah, Amazon, yeah, yeah, Amazon. I mean, that, that's the best way to get it. I mean, there are there is a random Waterstones and place like that, but it's not so readily available on the shelves. But Amazon will always have copies. Fantastic. What's your most memorable Millwall match? What's the game that stands in your mind, Mark? Oh, it's got to be the semi-final. Uh, the, uh, old Two thousand four. It's got to be that, that, that the old day, the old the old thing really setting out early and uh, the minibus trip up ten handed, you know, yeah. minibus rain pouring in all the way up there. Um fun and games, laughing and joking all the way up and course um the end you know, result, the result yeah. as well, which was just just almost unbelievable. Surreal would be the only word I could describe that day really. It was just incredible um, the last 15, 20 minutes, I couldn't stand up. I had to sit down. <laughs> and, that, and that's true. I just could not watch anymore. I, I was so... I don't know. I felt ill, actually. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't... And it's just, like my mate still refer to it today. It's back to his wobble. 
I, I just went. I just couldn't do it. Um, and all around me, everyone's going mental, absolutely mental. And everyone's suddenly realising that you know, I cut finals, so Europe was, a, yeah. was on the doorstep. It was just a massive... It was a mental day. It was a stupid day in many respects. You couldn't invent... No-one no. would ever believe it would have happened, would they, Mark? No, I mean, like, a lot of people who knew, knew nothing about football. By this stage, I mean, the sort of media and the sort of TV sort of film world, and they didn't really care about football. And they, even they were watching it because they knew that I supported them, and, you know, they were always laughing, I said. And all of a sudden, we're in a cup semi-final, and winning the bloody thing and I just couldn't afterwards people say I just couldn't I couldn't stop watching it they really got caught up in it as well for yeah. a little while they become Millwall fans so it's like a lot of people were connected to, the, to that game through me um, and it was just a mad old time really that, that was a mad day but it a, was a wonderful day fantastic choice I think I think that's a, that's a very common choice and yeah well it's hard it, to top that really I think oh I, I don't think we I suppose the promotion in, in 88 might have come close to yeah, it but, that, um, was, that was obviously fantastic but um, I was just thinking as, a, as an occasion um, I mean I grew up watching the FA Cup like everyone else probably did my age and just literally from sort of Nine o'clock in the morning, right through the last, you know, last bit of the telly. So I just loved the FA Cup final. So to think that we were going to be in it, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter where it was, I knew we were playing. Didn't really matter. The fact we managed to get the Cup final was just an incredible uh, achievement, I think, and uh, a dream come true, really. Do you like the new den, Mark? Do you, do you like the new stadium? Um, I don't mind. I've not really got a major problem with it. I remember going to the first game. Was it Sporting Lisbon? It first was a friendly game, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember going with Dad and we, we sort of walked in up the, up the stairs and see it for the first time from the sort of seats. We were very impressed. I must be honest, we were very impressed with it because I don't know what we expected. We was like, well, this is this a do. Yeah. Um, that was in the south, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the south bit. And uh, we, 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 we liked it. We didn't, didn't mind it. I mean, I've, I've grown to just sort of accept it. That's what it is now. We sit. I've been going there sort of 25 years, well, 20 years now as a yeah, yeah. season ticket holder. And uh, we sit in the same seats with the same guys week in, week out. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't really, I haven't really got a major problem with it, to be honest. No. Does it compare with Cold Blow Lane for you, Mark? Um, Atmosphere-wise, I think it's different. I mean, I thought, it, I thought things were funnier down the old then, obviously, and, 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 and uh, different days, but we are all different then. It was a long while ago. And, uh, Ain't that the um, truth. It's yeah. a little bit more comfortable. As we get older, as we, as we march on in years, I think it's fair to say it's a little bit more comfortable, but it's still as cold. Um, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's, yeah, not, that's no for warmer. sure. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, uh, they could obviously they could do more and prove it in certain ways, but obviously money's always going to be an issue there. But um, in general, no, no, no major problem with it. I've been looking through your your your. Um Twitter timeline. I've been looking at all the pictures, the celebrities you're pictured with. <laughs> it's quite a collection you got on their backs. I tell you that much. I mean, yeah. I looked at Robert Elms, Gary Crowley. You've mentioned already. Yeah. Paul Weller with yeah. um, you know with, with your your latest novel. Would you describe yourself as a mod? Would you call yourself a yeah, mod? Yeah, modernist really. Modernist. Um, as I get older, it's, it's changing, but modernist really. I mean, obviously, I was banging into this sort of jam. I love the jam. I love yeah. the sort of quadrophenia. Yeah. Um, that was like seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Also, uh, and I was really active on that sort of mod scene for sort of five, ten years of going to clubs and buying the records, mainly buying the records in the clothes. I was obsessed with clothes and still, I still love me clothing. Yeah. Um, so really, that was my little thing. Into it. I mean, the fact that I know Paul now is quite strange because I was a massive fan of the Jam and the Style Council. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I've just got no pull over the last few years through Paolo and then had a bit of a falling out. But and I went out, I went out of the out the camp a little bit. Because, okay. you know, Paul's <laughs> Paul's got a little reputation for being a little bit like that. He's but, artistic. He's an artistic personality. He, yeah, he can. He, yeah, interesting guy sometimes. But he basically he read the mumper and he absolutely loved it because he's a father and son tell really. For right. So that's really basically in essence what it's about. Yeah. And unfortunately, his dad John had just died. He's, who was his manager as well, John. John Waddle was a massive character, and he just died. And Paul was sort of touched by that, by the story, and he and he, he got in touch, and we sort of kept in touch since really. And he and he kindly gave me a song for the uh, for the film outside bet, which they made on the version of the of the book, which was amazing really for me. Just that this song's never been released on any anywhere else. And uh, he said, look, I got I got a song that I think will fit in great. You can have it, which is um, I got to say, it does get a bad press sometimes, but to, with me, it's been an amazing friend really and uh very very kind and um yeah he's not an easy guy sometimes he can be a, he still can be quite uh difficult um uh, yeah no he's just he's just he's just he's just a very you know he's a nice guy but he's just got he's got you know he's busy really i think a lot of people mm. get busy and they mm. haven't got time for anyone messing around with it it's just he comes across quite hard sometimes but really he's not like that with me he's just just a busy guy he's got a big family he's got loads of things going on he's a, obviously a very successful person in his yeah, own right, yeah, obviously. Yeah, indeed, yeah. So he's flying around all over the place and trying to keep fitting, uh, like, you know, even going for a coffee and stuff, he's quite tough sometimes. And, but that, he likes to do that, and if he can do it, it's nice to be able to the opportunity to spend some time with him, really. Now, talking about coffee, one of your other many roles, and, and <laughs> I, I can't stress to listeners enough how many roles Mark Baxter has. <laughs> uh, as I was writing my notes, I thought, Jesus Christ, you know, that is that is quite a range. You're also a, uh, you're in public relations. Manager for for various um, yeah companies. That, 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 that's a strange one. I mean, that really was what I, when I, I packed up my I, when the book did okay, and the film come out. I had a, I had a better sort of six months' money there <laughs> to sort of think. Right, okay, that's it. I've had enough nine to five. I'm forty five years of age. If I never do it, I'm, I'm, I don't go now. I'm never going to do it. Yep. So I packed up my job, um, which was quite a good job and good money. Yep. And I had my money, and and, and I didn't. I just, a leap of, my mate calls it a leap of faith. I just jumped in and went right. I'm going. And I carried on writing. I did a few articles and a few little bits and pieces. And through that, I got contacted by a couple of uh, clothing companies to say, like, you know, obviously you know about this, you know this, you know that. Mm. It was like to come and do a bit of PR for us. So I ended up doing their social media, their Facebook, their Twitters. Okay. And PR in and, and getting it on a product, what they call product placement. So if you, you've got shirts or, or shirts or shoes or whatever, you want to get one of the few faces, I can... You can sort this. I yeah. can ask, you know, yeah. see what I can yeah. do. And it, that's what I was doing. It's just, I've just sort of tumbled into this sort of role now. I've got like 10, 10 different clients I've worked for. So, and one of them is Baratado in Soho. Yes, indeed. I've just yeah. been going there for 30 years. And one day the governor said to me, look, come and do it for us. And... Um, <laughs> It's been five years now, so I've been working for five years. The family, the Pelagy family, lovely people. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the good thing about most people I work for, again, they're just nice people. They're good characters. It's not really what you call hard sort of hard PR. It's not like the, the big money PR. No. It's more soft and it's more customer focused and. Um, it's done with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, with really, a bit of a laugh, and you know, obviously they want to sell, and they want to you know, get their product across. But indeed, 
you know, it's just a bit, it's been just a bit more, bit, bit of a, I don't really know how, how I got into it, and a lot of things I do, I don't know how I get into it, but I just get into it and I carry on doing it because I enjoy it, really, that's my main sort of focus, really, as long as I'm enjoying it, I'll carry on doing it. Leap of faith, I like that, that's actually quite inspirational. And I, yeah, I, it, was, it was panicking at the time, but I was I was having a real bad time, I, I mean, the job, the people that work with okay, but I just hated the job, I got into the state situation, I hated it, and I could see the opportunities in front of me, the writing and the the various people I was meeting, I thought, is it, if you don't go, you're never going to find out. And it's quite hard thing to do, give a job up, especially in one of the worst economic climates of all time. Indeed um, so. That was yeah. sort of 2008. I just mean, I mean, most people thought it was mental, including the missus. <laughs> but, but I went anyway, and uh, she, she got married down at around the same time, so we had a great, great, great three months, panicking like crazy. But we both, uh, now both self-employed, and we both... Uh, well, we come out the other side, really, just, just by grafting, just pure graft. There's no shortcut, you've got to graft. Hard right work and, and, and yeah. back, backing yourself and taking a chance. Yeah. I mean, having a few ideas and backing yourself and, um, you know, hopefully being a decent person, really. You know, don't call so many dramas for anybody and just crack on, really. Fantastic. What's your favourite ever Millwall moment, Mark, as against match? I, 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 I keep saying I don't know if I'm going to keep this questioning because it's slightly this one and the same thing. But yeah. your favourite ever Millwall moment, does it differ from the semi final for you? No, I've got to say, I've, I've written down the final whistle at Old Trafford, I suppose. Yeah. Just because I can stand, I can stand up again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sitting there. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's, that, that question is really it's very hard to separate. Yeah. I suppose really seeing the team walk out of the cup final and the noise, the noise in Cardiff, the noise where he was. Beyond one of the goals was just unbelievable. It, it was, was an immense noise that day, and, and the event was quite unbelievable. But yeah, it was. It was. It, it didn't quite have the Cardiff feeling, but it, it was still. Uh, um, I just remember. I just remember the, the, the noise just absolutely echoing around the ground, and yeah. we had sang that mob, and you now obviously they outplayed us really. To be fair, got to be honest, but we had a fantastic day. The result didn't really matter. No, but I suppose the, the final, semi-final and final combined, you've you, you got a wonderful experience there, really. Very much so. I mean, it was, I, I, you know, I'm sure it was the second or the third United goal went in. And I, I actually wasn't even aware they scored because the noise was so yeah, that's it. loud it's that it just overrode the, yeah, you know. the game was just going on round you, really. Yeah. I was just having a laugh with people and sorting the people and um, soaking it all up, thinking that oh, I doubt if I ever do this again. So <laughs> I've learned that lesson, really. If you've got a chance of doing these things, take it. Take it, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it was just a marvellous uh, occasion, really. What's your funniest ever Millwall moment, Mark? Ah, that's my dad. My dad was at the, the, the <laughs> game at Ivory. We won 2 0. We yes. Kennedy scored the last yeah. couple of minutes. 94, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. You know, I can't remember the terrible years, but we was in the clock end. And uh, my, I was standing with the old man, and then he scored. And I looked round, and the old man weren't there. And, <laughs> um, I we, and I looked down, and he was about 20 foot in front of me. And he had his flat cap on back to front, and he was playing his glasses case. <laughs> Like an harmonica, because he absolutely hated the Arsenal with a passion. Because his his brother was an Arsenal fan, right? You know, they'd grown up hating, well, not hating each other, but hating each other over football. Over football, yeah. yeah. And I, for, he hated the Arsenal with an absolute. I can't describe how much he hated them. everything: the club, the fans, uh, the area, anything to do with it. You know it. For yeah. us to beat them, two nil in that ground was probably his finest moment. In fact, he he said to me. When you cremate me, put the ticket in your pocket. And we, did. <laughs> we did. We did. We sent him, we sent him away with the ticket because it meant that much. He had the ticket printer uh, to the wall in his, in his house for some, well, until he died. It was just, it was the, it was the, 
finest moment of his life, I think. I told the birth for me and my brother in there. <laughs> and um, he just, I just remember looking down, I said, my mate, look at him, look, he's like a kid, he was, he was like a four-year-old, dancing about like a little leprechaun with a, a cap on back the front and forget, pretending playing harmonica, which is no kindness to that bit, but he was in absolutely ecstasy. Yeah, it's brilliant, that's brilliant. That's yeah, moment, I'll, I can, I'll never ever forget that moment. <laughs> <laughs> to be cremated with a ticket on you, I think is fantastic, that's, oh, yeah, that's a lovely know, story. Exactly. Boy, where I go, that ticket's in my pocket, it was his so, so, <laughs> you can tell it with you. <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, I don't know what to say to that. (laughs) Who's your favourite current player out of the current squad, Mark? Well, it's going to be a a controversial one around where I sit because I don't like him, but I like Jimmy Abdu. I like him. I I think he's a grafter. He's obviously not the greatest player in the world, but he's a grafter and he he keeps going in and out of the team, obviously, but I think they, whenever they leave him out, you can see the difference, I think. And I think Holloway's found that as well. Left him out of the game, brought him back in. Um, yeah, he's not the greatest technical player at all, but he puts a shift in, I think. And again, I like that. I'm, I'm just a... I'm a grafting sort of player. I'm not grafting sort of person. I admire yeah. somebody who earns their wages, really, and I think he does. Oh, he certainly does that. I mean, um, you know, I mean, again, I mean, I like the look of that Jack Powell. I'm very impressed with him. I mean, obviously, he ain't played much at all, but no, what no. I've seen of him... And obviously, it's a big shout with the kids still just starting. We see him in the uh, the Southampton game, yeah. the cup game, and then uh, we were like, you know, this looks a bit tidy. And then the league game, yeah, I thought he did okay, you know, he shut the goal up, and I thought he played really well. And I like, I, I hope they can sort of bring him through. And I like someone like that. And I think we need a player like that. And I hope he, I hope he can make it really. I mean, he seems to have a touch of class about him. Yeah, I mean, he does seem to have that so. X factor, doesn't he? I mean, Jimmy obviously he's, he's an archetypal Millwall player, really, given yeah. which is unusual given a man of his background and origins, and yeah. you know, and you know, he's not the not the biggest of of, of, of chaps. He's he's a, he's a lean kind of player. Yeah, but I think he's worked out what he needs to do I think that, you know, he, you know he just put a shift in and you'll be okay and I think I think grudgingly I mean he gets a lot of stick around me a couple of guys around me just can't have him at all at any price <laughs> and, I, and I'll probably pick him just to wind, pick him out just to wind him up money money but I like <laughs> I like the fact that he uh I just, I just say, you know, look, watch him. What he's doing, he just puts it, he puts it in. He don't, he don't know He never, very, never, never hides from a game. It's going bad. He puts it in. I think, I think. The, it's again, it's the virtues of hard work, putting yourself in situations and, yeah. and taking the opportunities that fall your way as a result. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, he, I think he's done that the best he can do. And uh, you know, it's not, you know, he's say he's not the greatest technical player in the world. But to be fair. Down there at the moment, you just need to get, you know, get the results and stuff. And you know, fancy damn football's not as a place for it every now and again, but not really at the moment, Daniel. I don't think. No, I mean the one the virgin again. Just going back to your your Twitter feed, Mark, because I've become fascinated by your your, your Twitter feed. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> well, a, no, no, no. Obviously, <laughs> anyone that wants an education in music, um, uh, you know, pictures of Mark at, at art galleries and the oh, like. Right, no, you know, very very social life. Yeah. No, no, no. And I, I, it just goes back to that point. I mean, I, I think if you you know you put yourself in these situations and mix with the, you know the right kind of make yourself um, you know. Uh, be sociable in those situations. Um, yeah. People and, and, and opportunities fall your way as a result, and I think the, the majority of things I do, the most people I know, they're all from sort of the, from this area. Yeah, Canberra, Rotherham, Bursley, Warfield, Elephant Castle. But just that now they're all graduates, one way or the other. They're all there's actors, there's painters, there's film producers, there's other writers. There's they're all coming through. Act. I mean, like, guy uh, guy called Lee Grimbridge, Millwall fan. Yeah. 
Um, he's just produced a film called The Goob, which is like a, a independent British film. We just won the award out in France. Um, he, you know, he's, he's flying leads. He's done great work with Johnny Harris, the actor. Um, he was in uh, This Is England. He's, you know, he's, yeah, he's yeah. John's. John's. Um, I think if he keeps it going, he, he could be anything he wants to be. John. Right. Um, he's in a film called Monsters Dark Content. He's going really well. Ed Gray's a painter. Ed's from Rob Rive, and he's just had a big gallery show at um, uh, the GX in Campbell. Just he's got a Millwall painting now. Yes. Um, which is fantastic. I mean, you know, they're all, they're all they're good boys. They're all good lads, and the, I love the fact that they're from the south and you know from my area, and I know them as mates really, but. We, we all support each other and what we're doing, um, and that's a, that's a nice thing to have, you know. If you've got people like that, you can sort of get behind, and you know, it's you know, that's really what it is. We just support each other, and hopefully, you know, no one's really looking to become a, a superstar or make no. loads of money, but just doing what they love to do. And you can you can only back that, I think. If you can get an opportunity to be around these sort of people, then you've got to take it and, and do what you can to help them. Well said, well said, mate. So we've got last question now. Yes. We'll conclude the uh, listed line for <laughs> this week. And I'll give you the, the question nobody ever... Well, some people like this question. I don't know if you'll like this question or not, but it's your most despised opponent. Who is the, yeah. is oh, it, do, you, do you have anyway? It is tough, because you sound like a really nice bloke. So. Yeah, despised is a word I don't like. I don't like that word, despised. I'm Hated, like, yeah, I, mean, I don't the know. One, the one club that I don't like yeah. would be Leeds. Leeds, okay. Which I think is probably from the seventies as much as anything else, because I hated them in the seventies, the, yes. the Rebbe side. But the funny thing is, I've got quite a few Leeds mates. Okay. Which is like, and I keep and the nice people. I keep saying, what you do is support that mob. And even today, <laughs> when they come, when they come down our place, it's always an undercurrent. Obviously, massive undercurrent of, of just egg. It's just horrible, isn't it? and. and yeah. The old thing's not particularly nice. It's deteriorating very nasty the last few years. Obviously, the Jimmy Savile and the other Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, but you, you know what? They are right. They're not easy to like, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say them, obviously, about the majority, but one or two up next, you know, you're not going to fit in. And I always remember when uh, Georgia Best died, we had a minute silence down then, and they, yeah. they were the only one. They, they created all the way through that, or a few of them created all the way through that. And I thought... Even today, you know, like he's a sort of guy that everyone's in football. If you love your football, you've got to admire the man's talent with nothing else. And I always yeah. remember that they, they sort of jeered and sung for it and whatever. And I thought, nah, I'm not having that. No. So, um, yeah, memories of one basically 70s memories, really, I think. And but it, 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 you can see why they was didn't, no one liked them in the 70s either, really. So, Leeds, the whole the, whole, the football club. Everything, yeah. everything, everything to do with it. The world despises half me to say, but I think I you know, just don't like them. Don't like them. Well, yeah. which would change that. The most, most, <laughs> most disliked opponent. Ever. Disliked, that that might yeah. be, that might yeah. be a better way to put it. Um, that's fantastic, Mark. Now you're working on a project at the moment. You're doing a, a, a documentary, I understand. On um, yeah, it's, Tubby uh, it's Hayes. Yeah, it's an absolute passion project, really. It's a guy called Tubby Hayes. He's uh, is now again another South London boy, out of South West London, and uh, it was a jazz jazz man, really. Yeah. Born in '35, um, and it's a long while ago. But he would have been 80 next year. Um, I found out about him when I was sort of getting involved with the club scene in the sort of early, early mid '80s. Member of Ronnie Scotts at 23, lovely jazz. Right. Uh, Tubby Hayes, fell in love with the music. Then I fell in love with the story. The white fat fella. Yeah. Who just could blow, blow up a storm and he, he played with everybody really. I mean, he played with Quincy Jones, Duke Ellington, right. Ella Fitzgerald, obviously Ronnie Scott. Um, he was he was the go-to jazz man in his country. 
sadly got on the, on the needle, um, yeah. heroin, yeah. and uh, he was dead at 38 in 1973. So it's a long time ago. I've always thought there's a, a great story there. I was going to do a book on him, but right. someone beat me to it. Okay. But the thing is, the guy that's doing the book, I've now we're now big pals, and um, he's been helping me with my research, and I've been helping me with his. So he's got a book come out next year about Tubby, and I've got I've got a documentary hopefully come out about Tubby. We got I got the funding through Jazz fans and Tubby Ace fans and people right. that support. So this is a work in pro- progress at the moment. We're about two thirds through. Yeah, we got all the footage in. We just now that's what I've been doing today. I've been just putting the edit together. We've been sitting editing it today. Um, it's a long process. It's a very tricky process, but it's an interesting thing to do. And mm. I'm hoping the idea is obviously we can't discover Tubby. Tubby's long, long gone, but you discover his music. Hopefully, people will then reevaluate the music and support British jazz or English jazz, or whatever you want to put it, really, because there's some great music in there, and um, he's been forgotten, really, by. A lot of people will be dead over 40 years, obviously, but there is a, there is a groundswell. There's also quite a big following for him in other countries, fair enough, Japan, America, all over Europe. It's funny that we don't really value, value our own people sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, so that's true. So my, that's, my, that's my absolute... If I get that away, if I get that made and, and out, I'll, I'll, well, I'll never say I'll retire, but I'll be, that'll be a massive tick because that's one thing I've always wanted to do for the last... Well, since I was around early 20s, so I'm 52 now, so... 30 years in the, in the in the in the making, really. Fantastic. It's not Desert Island Discs, but can you recommend a track for me to play out this week's show? A Tubby Hayes track. What would dear, dear, a song called Dear Johnny B. Dear Johnny a, B. An album called Mexican Green. My dad's name was Johnny Baxter. It's always been my favourite track. So it, that'll, that'll cover a lot of boundaries. That one. We're going to play out this show with Dear Johnny B by Tubby Hayes. Mark, that's fantastic, mate. Really appreciate your time. You are our listed line for this 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 week. Many many thanks to you, Mark. Mark Baxter. Thank you very much for the invitation, Nick. Absolute pleasure to do, mate. No problem at all.